So welcome to the Quality of Mind Transforming Business podcast. This is where we explore the new game-changing understanding that can unlock new levels of performance, resourcefulness, and well-being in the workplace. Join us if you want to be part of the new breed of leaders in business. Join us if you're fed up with the conventional echo chamber. And join us if you want to be part of the new revolution in understanding how the mind works and recognize that we are more than just our psychology and that that can lead to better results. Hello and welcome to the Quality of Mind Transforming Business podcast series. So today's episode is a huge treat and it's actually a major coup, I believe, for the Quality of Mind podcast to have my guest join me today. My guest is Rupert Spira, who not only has been hugely valuable in my own development of my own grounding, but he is in, in my humble opinion, one of the most articulate, elegant, humble, and deeply grounded pointers to the understanding known as non-duality. So thank you so much for giving up your time to come and talk to us. Pleasure to be with you. Thank you for inviting me. But what's even more wonderful is Rupert, until recently, really would mainly talk to an audience that was already acquainted or interested in the understanding that he points to, to people who may be curious to explore more about the direct path to non-duality. Now, the audience of this podcast, Quality of Mind, don't yet know that's what they're interested in. So <laughs> it's wonderful to have you here. Thank you, Rupert. You're absolutely right, um, Piers. If you had asked me two years ago who, who I speak to, I would perhaps then have said, yes, I tend to, uh, I, I tend to preach to the choir. I tend to speak to those who are, if not specifically interested in, in the perennial philosophy or non-duality, I, I certainly have some kind of um, spiritual inclination. Um, however, um, since the beginning of lockdown, and, and I think it's, I think this was just, I don't think it was because of, of this. It just coincided with something that was happening in, in the work that I do already. But, but I think events over the last 18 months have accelerated it, namely that, um, I stopped for obvious reasons, uh, traveling and speaking to live audiences and, uh, um, all my meetings and retreats took place online, which of course makes them much more available to a, to a far wider group of, of people. And perhaps also because of, uh, of, of lockdown, more people were possibly pausing to, to reflect on some of the, the more essential questions that, that, that we explore in this approach. So, so yes, if you were to ask me this question now, I would agree with you certainly that I'm now speaking to a, a much larger audience than I was even a couple of years ago, for instance, in this last year or so, I've um, done meetings with the Metropolitan Police, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, um, the Nationwide Building Society. Uh, so I'm, yes, being invited by by groups that, that are well outside the, 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 the choir, mm. uh, the people that are already inclined towards some kind of um, 
spiritual investigation. In fact, I, I, I would never use that word anymore, spiritual, because that for very understandable reasons, because it, because it covers so many, uh, um, attitudes and approaches and practices, um, many of which have less than nothing to do with what we are speaking of here. That, uh, that word, um, it, it has just acquired so many connotations uh, and erroneous connotations very often that, that I would never uh, call what, what we're doing here um, it's, spiritual. It, 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 it's to do with what everybody, um, all 7.8 billion of us are, are, are really interested in, namely fulfillment and peace, uh, the absence of conflict in relationships. It's, it's such a fascinating point that because I find particularly in my audience, words are so important because they can turn people on or off. Business people tend to be very busy. If they don't like the sound of something, they don't tend to listen. Um, so I, mean, I think it's true for all humans. And I, I think the word spiritual, you're right. I, I never really use it up front as part of my opening gambit because <laughs> there's a risk yeah. that people will. But then it's trying to point to you know, I sometimes work before psychology, beyond psychology, you know, to try and say there's something different uh, to yes. the direction rather than, so almost like what the direction isn't rather than what it is. It's a difficult one with, with the language. Um, I've listened to your things at the Metropolitan, please, uh, The Shine and um, yes. with Alcoholics Anonymous. It, it, my heart sings because I, I love the fact that you, because when you do that, you you bring it into a context, I think, that, more people can identify with and the and this incredibly wonderful foundational profound pointing becomes incredibly practical um, it becomes practical simple and something that one can relate to in one's uh, everyday life whether you're um, a police officer uh, who, who is um, spends their, their their working day subjected to uh, the, the most uh, horrendous um, videos that they have to watch all day and have to somehow process this material and the, 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 the stress and, and everything that accompanies that work, whether, or whether, whether you're, um, you have a, an, an addiction and you're part of an AA group, it, it, this understanding is, is um, it, it meets people exactly where they are in really any field of life and can be tailored to that field of life in a very... Um, practical experiential way yes and i think for a lot of people that's very different to what they think spirituality is which they think is something for either sunday afternoons um or it's, or this, it's woo-woo or uh, it's woo-woo it's high yeah. polluting yeah. oh yes that's nothing to do with my meetings tomorrow or my yes. parenting or whatever but actually the the complete opposite is true isn't it there's something beautiful about that and I suppose what, what one of the questions that I would have, I have many, but um, we'll just see what comes out, is when we're pointing people in this direction or at least inviting them to the conversation, it seems to be that a lot of society, the world is, is quite interested in what, what I might call psychology, what is going on for them, you know, in behavior or even mindset. Mindset's got a, quite a lot of interest. I mean, I used to do a lot of mindset work. But when it when the conversation goes a little bit before that, they they don't seem to see the relevance straight away, or it's harder to see, or they don't think it's relevant. So I suppose one of the questions is is what do you what what's on offer for people beyond psychology before psychology that's available for them? So, so yes. that, that's something I'm fascinated by. 
Yes, it's you, you. You corrected yourself in the question. You said beyond psychology, and then you rephrased it before psychology. You're right. What what I speak of is prior to psychology. It's not. It's not beyond it. To suggest that it's beyond it is is, is to project it at a distance from mm. ourselves, something in the far distance that that we might uh, um, attain or become. No, this understanding is about what precedes our psychology in ourself, our psychology being uh, the content of our thoughts and feelings. There is something in us that is prior to thoughts and feelings, uh, the recognition of which has a profound effect on our thoughts and feelings. So all our thoughts and feelings arise on behalf of someone or something. We say, I feel such and such. I think such and such. I am trying to, it, it, there's always a, an I, a self that um, lies at the heart of our experience, lies at the heart of our psychology, all our feelings. I am upset, I am lonely, I am excited, I am frustrated. But the, all these feelings arise on behalf of I. So I, that's the common name for ourself, I is present prior to the arising of thoughts and feelings. It is present prior to psychology. And the, the content of our thoughts and feelings, in other words, our psychology, depends upon our understanding of ourself, the I on whose behalf it arises. So what we really address here is the nature of our essential irreducible self. When I say our essential irreducible self, I mean that aspect of ourself that is prior to more important, more permanent than our fleeting, changing, temporary thoughts and feelings. And uh, I, I would go I would go further to suggest that any attempt to change the content of our thoughts and feelings, that is, tamper with our psychology, is in the long term uh, fruitless until we address, until we go deeper, until we go but take a step back and investigate the, the self, the I, on whose behalf they arise. It is only when we attend, explore that and attend to that 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 thoughts and feelings, which are, so to speak, downstream of ourself, are, are uh, changed or affected. And I think, you know, I've definitely got the T-shirt from that because when I was working in the area of neurolinguist programming and, and all sort of psychological strategies, tools and techniques, I was trying to, to use your phrase, tamper with psychology without really understanding the true self. And organisations do that too, not, not even you know, in, in the mind, they, they, they play around with organizational change, not really understanding that at the heart of it, there's a, there's a person. So it, let, let's assume now you're a business person listening to this. They've heard that you said something about, well, we have to understand what this I or this self is that's pre the thoughts, feelings, sensations of our psychology. And when we understand that, we're going to have a better, better way of changing what comes through the system. Help them understand what they need to recognize as the, as the identity or, or the, the activity that that self is. What would you point them to see? 
everybody has uh, the sense of um, be, being their self. Everybody feels I am myself. And we don't just feel I am myself in this moment. We have always felt I am myself. We have always felt I am the same self. You, you don't feel that you're a different self every day or, or every minute. You feel I, I've been the same person, the same self throughout my life. I, I feel I've been the same self or person throughout my life. In other words, there is some uh, continuity to our identity. Mm. However, if you look at the content of our thoughts and feelings, there's no continuity there. Our thoughts and feelings, they're, they're continually appearing, existing briefly and vanishing. Not only that, what we think one day, we may think the opposite the next day. You can feel uh, depressed one day and in love the next day. In other words, our thoughts and feelings are not part of this um, essential, continuous sense of identity that we have. They are, um, they are added to us. They are, uh, super, when I say they're superfluous, I don't mean that in a derogatory sense. They are not essential to us. They come and go. But we, there is a, one element of our experience of ourself which doesn't change, which always remains present in the background of experience, which is our essential identity or, or our being. But most of us overlook our essential self or being in favor of the content of our experience. In other words, we allow ourselves to become so mixed up with our thoughts, feelings, sensations, perceptions, activities, relationships, and so on, that we overlook ourself or, or, or being. We become completely identified or we identify ourselves with the content of experience at the expense of our, our self. And this overlooking of ourself or our essential being is, I, I would suggest, the, the ultimate cause of our uh, sense of frustration, lack of fulfillment, our desire for happiness. And I would also suggest it is the cause of all the conflicts we experience in relationships, be they uh, business relationships, friendships, intimate relationships, and, and so on. So if you take a small baby, a young baby who doesn't have a sense of self, you know, it, it, not only do they not have language, they don't have a sense of separation necessarily, they just are. Um, and then you can see over the years as, as they grow up and they get conditioned and become adults, that they get more and more self-identification, conceptual mind thinking, et cetera, et cetera. Would it be fair to say that they lose, well, we lose the sense of what we truly are you know, what we were as infants, when we didn't have that, that mind that was so obsessed and addicted to thinking and, and sort of layering up self-identification. I mean, how would you describe what yes. happens from an infant onwards? Yes. In the early years of our life, we, we um, progressively identify ourselves with uh, um, a cluster of, of thoughts, images, feelings, uh, narratives, sensations uh, and so on and it's quite right that we do so i'm not suggesting that that 
What I'm suggesting here is not that we return to some pre-verbal infantile state of consciousness. No, it, it is it is necessary that that we go through this process of individuation and separation, for instance, initially from our parents, that, that we that we become a, a healthy, um, uh, well uh, well adapted. That we develop a healthy, well adapted sense of of self. However, in our culture, we don't go much further than this. We don't then investigate that sense of identity and evolve beyond it. So what I'm suggesting here is not that we return to some idyllic infantile state before the sense of separation arose in us, but that, but that that is a necessary evolutionary step that, that, that in a healthy um, developing adult takes place in the, in, in the early years of their life, their childhood and early teenage years, but that we then mature beyond that um, relatively narrow definition of ourself and recognize what, what we are um, uh, outside or prior to these, uh, the, the limitations that we acquire from the content of our experience. And, and it seems to me that we kind of lose our curiosity for that too. So uh, this might be to see something I create in my own mind and therefore see, but it feels to me that when you've, and I've got currently children who are 10 and 12, but when they were sort of six, seven, sometimes they were just out of nowhere, ask a very kind of profound question about the reality and, and, and the universe and them that, you kind of, because it comes out of the mouth of a six, seven-year-old, you, do, oh, you, you don't, don't worry about that yes. kind of thing. But actually, it's a, it's a beautiful self-inquiry question. And it feels like we go through this, it gets ignored by society, education, school, parents, innocently, of course. And then we, we although there's part of us seeking to get back to that true self, we just keep looking the wrong way after that. Yes. And, hey, presto, yes. we end up where we are. Yes, you're right. There is a, a, a kind of magical period in childhood, exactly around the age you suggest, five or six years old, where we've acquired sufficient language, uh, but the sense of being a, a, a separate individual has not yet crystallized completely in our experience. And then there's, there's, there's a window um, around the age of five or six where, as you say, sometimes... Um, a, a child will 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 say something that is is so um, luminous and profound and perceptive. You wonder where on earth it could have come from, and then sure enough, a couple of years later, they are no longer making such observations or asking such questions. They, in a way, they have to forget that as their sense of being a separate self crystallizes more fully in their experience, and it's then something that we have to find our way back to later on. And as you say, in our culture, we tend not to be encouraged to do so. In fact, our culture rather cooperates with our understanding and feeling ourselves to, to, to be a temporary, finite, separate, limited individuals. And although this um, interest is in fact kept alive in everybody in the form of their search for happiness, Almost everybody responds to this impulse, this search for happiness, by seeking um, objective experience, um, uh, objects, substances, activities, relationships, and, and so on. So um, 
I think this interest does stay alive in people, if not intellectually, if not in the form of a quest for truth or reality, more emotionally in the form of a quest for happiness, which everybody feels above all else. Everybody loves and seeks happiness above all else, which I, I would suggest is ultimately uh, the, the quest uh, ultimately to be divested of the sense of separation that we have acquired during the early years of our, of our childhood mm-hmm. and, and to, to, to recognize ourselves again as this, uh, um, as this self-aware being prior to uh, the arising of our psychology. I think that's so profound and relevant and practical because if you look at, so what you're saying is that the, Curiosity or the seeking still remains, just we look completely in the wrong direction to, to solve yes. it. And yes, the, the, the seeking, the curiosity, is really a pull from our innermost being to or on the character that we have become, a, a, attracting us back to itself. But because we have lost this understanding in our culture, we don't realize that this curiosity or search for happiness is really a, a, a pull from the innermost depths of ourselves. We feel that it is a pull from the world, from, from objects, from substances, from, uh, from, 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 from work, from relationships, from, from, so we respond to this pull by going out into the world in search of objective experience, objects, substances, relationships, and so on, without realizing that what is really taking place on us is a pull from the very depths of our own being. And if I just put that in the context of the workplace, so in the workplace, people will be often striving or seeking recognition, promotion, achievement, accomplishment, validation, you know, lots of words you could put to this. That is, and, and that's really the same why, thing, I guess. Yeah, why, if you would, I, I agree that, that would, those would be the common motivations mm. in the workplace. But if you were then to ask a, a second question, why do you want recognition, success, achievement, provo- promotion, validation? What, what is the, what is it that you really want or hope to derive from these accomplishments? I guess it's coming back where we, we got those echoes of what we were before we got self-identified. But, but, but with in, self. in ordinary language, people would just say happiness. Yeah. So say, well, yes. Put, put yeah. it this way. If somebody knew that promotion would cause them misery, would they still seek promotion? If no. they thought that, that validation would cause them misery, would they seek it? If, if somebody knew that winning a, winning a million dollars on, on, uh, on a, in the jackpot, on the lottery, would cause them misery, would they still enter the lottery? No, they wouldn't. It's not really the validation, the success, the acknowledgement, the validation, the promotion the fortune that they seek. What they seek is the happiness they believe will be derived from these accomplishments. Mm. And because of the, 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 the lack of 
understanding in our culture as to the nature of happiness and the means by which it may be found. We are continually encouraged by our culture to seek fulfillment and happiness in these objective accomplishments. But we all know, you, you know from the work, that, that however many promotions you get, however much money you make, whatever validation or success you find, it doesn't lead to lasting happiness. It doesn't lead to lasting fulfillment. There is still a gnawing feeling of emptiness, dissatisfaction in us, which can never be resolved even when you have everything that life could offer. There is still a sense something is missing in my life. And that sense that something is missing is the driving force of almost everybody's life. I think in, in business, ultimately, that sense of something is missing. I need something. I need to accomplish something in order to fulfill myself. That is the motivating force. But for, for most business, indeed, for, for, for most people in general, but we're talking about the, the, the business community in, in particular. Yes. And, yes. and you know, it's, I've worked with many people who have had successes and bigger and bigger successes. And there's still that bit missing for them, which is why they keep going on and on and on, because they're not finding it in objective experience or objects. Yes. And, and our mainstream culture does not yet um, give us an alternative that does not yet um, does not yet understand that what, what we are the fulfillment that we are seeking can never be derived from objective experience, however uh, um, marvelous however however successful we are whatever whatever we're promoted to or whatever fortune we amass that 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 none of these things are capable of providing the the fulfillment that we really long for our, our culture does not yet our mainstream culture does not yet um have this understanding and therefore most people are um at a loss particularly those when you're if you're very successful and you've really achieved everything there is to achieve you don't know where else to turn you, you, you've you've tried everything. You've accomplished everything, and still there is this sense of dissatisfaction inside. And, and it's interesting because I often have this, um, and I can see it as a complete myth now. I didn't used to really, but I completely see it as a myth now that people will say to things to me like, "Well, if if I start to see this true nature stuff or whatever it is, that's all great. I might feel happier and have more well being." Um, and the question themselves belies where they're at, but, um, but w will I become less active in the world? I, I want to make change in the world. I want to be, I want to be present to, to make a difference and add value. And for some reason, I think people have got conditioned to think, well, I can't be this beautifully, uh, present individual that's not self-identified and make a difference in the world there's some myth there yes you're you're absolutely right it it, it, it is a myth um and i think it comes from some of the uh traditional religious and spiritual approaches to this understanding where it is con it was considered necessary to give up everything about one's worldly life um uh, intimate relationship families work and 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 in other words there were many traditional approaches that were renunciate approaches that required um 
the renunciation of worldly life in order to to um, pursue this understanding. Now, I don't mean to criticize those traditional approaches. They are they are perfectly valid, but it, they are not the only way. It is quite possible to lead a, a, a fully um, engaged and active life in the world. In fact, um, in in this attitude that you express, this question that many people have, you know, how could I continue to lead a, a, a fruitful, productive um, life in the world and contribute to society? The, the implication in this question is that somehow the, 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 the ego is required to function well in the world. And this is a misunderstanding. The ego is simply the dysfunction of the mind, that the ego can, contributes nothing but dysfunction in our life and in our inner life this dysfunction is experienced as, as as suffering in our outer life it is experienced as conflict so in fact in answer to your question how is it possible to to pursue this investigation this understanding and still lead a, 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 a an active uh, functional life in the world yes absolutely in fact one's the abilities of one's mind and one's body are enhanced by this understanding simply by virtue of the fact that, that, that our thoughts and feelings and our subsequent activities and relationships are no longer thwarted by the dysfunction of the ego or the separate self. And all the faculties of the mind and the body are still available to be used, but they are no longer used in the service of the neuroses and the anxieties and the fears and the demands and the desires of the separate self. They are now used in the service of the intelligence and, and, and the love and the peace that is the nature of our essential being. And such a one, not everyone, who has this understanding would become very active and functional in the world. But it's quite possible that one with this understanding would become very active in the world or could uh, start a business, um, a company, an organization. And through the activities of that um, business or organization would contribute these very qualities to our society. So there is no, in, in this approach, there is absolutely no suggestion that, that one retires from activities, uh, functionality relationships in the world, R rather the opposite. One's activities in the world are just freed from, from the uh, distorting element of the separate self or ego. Well, I think you've just described there beautifully why I do the work I do and my colleagues, we do it because exactly that seems to happen. That when people have this understanding, their ability to run their business and contribute to the world goes up. You know, not, not it isn't the opposite at all. It isn't they reduce, I mean, they, they might shift their balance a little bit. You know, if they were working long, long, long hours, they realize they can get more done with less, but their actual contribution impact to their business in the world goes goes up so it's a win-win-win really if, it was, if, if that needs to be a win of anything but um there's something you said in there that i would just like to uh, get into a little bit more because particularly relevant for this audience of the business so the faculties of what i'm going to call the conceptual mind you know our, our ability for cognition and 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 
judgment and analysis and creation, you know, all the con- sort of conceptual mind things, they, I think I love the way you described it, that they are a faculty that we have in the system, but it feels like they run the show sometimes. And we self-identify with those rather than using them as where necessary in service of an expression of a a wider intelligence or consciousness. We we tend to be bossed around by them, if you see what I mean, whereas they're just a faculty. So can you say a little more about that, if my question makes any sense at all? (laughs) Yes, yes. Yes, the the thought is exactly that, a faculty. And what is important is not whether we think or not, or the extent to which we think, it is on whose behalf do our thoughts arise? Or in whose service do thoughts, are our thoughts generated? What is the purpose of our thoughts? Do our thoughts bring to society the, 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 the fears, the neuroses, the conflicts, uh, the disillusionment the, 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 uh, uh, of the separate self or ego, or do our, uh, uh, do our thoughts arise in service of intelligence, love, justice, equity, etc. So it, it's uh, the thoughts by themselves um, are neither positive nor, nor negative. They, they are a faculty that we have. It, it's in whose service they are employed that really matters. And, and there's a couple of questions I have on that that maybe you, you might answer in one answer, I don't know. But the, So to me, that the way we kind of recognize that or become aware of that is because of the, the feeling space that these thoughts might arise in, or, or I, might, I sometimes call it the aperture, you know, the kind of... And, and, and another way I've heard you describe it, which I thought was so beautiful and really hit home for me, was you almost can ask yourself, you know, does it feel like I'm coming towards love or from love, right? Now, that's not a very businessy way of putting it, but it, it, it's sort of th- those thoughts and, and w- 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 what are they in service of? On whose behalf are they, I suppose, are the, the same yes. way of saying it, but, it, but yes. it's sort of that space, isn't it? Yes. Uh, uh, imagine the difference between, um, t- t- take two people in business. Uh, one whose prime motive was to find fulfillment for themselves through their business activities. And take another person who, in other words, such a person that they're they come from the felt sense of dissatisfaction and their business activities are the means by which that sense of dissatisfaction is relieved. In other words, they seek fulfillment for themselves through their activities. And imagine a second person who feels essentially fulfilled that, that they don't feel that they're, that they don't feel this emptiness inside that this sense of dissatisfaction. They feel fulfilled and their business activities are, they're equally active in business, but their business activities, the purpose of them is to, to bring well-being into the world rather than to find it into the world, in the world. Both people could be very engaged in business, but their motive would be entirely different. Now, do you think that 
disguises itself sometimes one as the other. Uh, it, yes, it, 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 it's very possible. It, you're quite right. The, the, the ego or the apparently separate self can appropriate this understanding and use it subtly for its own ends. That, 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 that's possible. And how... But, but, sorry. Well, I was going to say, let, let, let's give people the benefit of the doubt. It, <laughs> it, it, you know, m- most people interested in these matters, most, if not all people interested in these matters, are, are, are very sincere. And yeah, whilst I, it's true... Th- go on, go on. Yeah, I, I was more thinking uh, the, that there's definitely people who are malintended to that, but, but I think there's sometimes there's some innocent guising where w- w- we, we don't know that we're coming from a place that... So I, I think sometimes we're, we, we can spot we're not coming from or towards hate, right? People can go, yeah, I, I yeah, want to make good yeah, in the world. Yeah. You know, I, I want to do something good in the world. But it still feels like sometimes they're, they're still coming from a place of lack, even though yes. overtly they are saying, I want to do good in the world, I want to make a difference, and absolutely yeah. sincere. Um, but it, it feels like sometimes it's still coming from a place of seeking yes. or lack. You're, you're right. That there's, there's a gray area. Um, that can accommodate b- b- both these points of view, the desire to do real good in the world and still to be coming from a, a sense of lack. But I would suggest that one's motivation will keep one safe. If one is sincerely motivated uh, to, 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 to bring um, peace and love and justice and equity in, 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 into the world, that one's motivation will keep one going in the right direction and that sooner or later one will come across whatever influence one needs to uh, refine one's own understanding and therefore one's own activities. Hmm. And that harks back to something you mentioned earlier that I wanted to just expand on for people, which is, and this is just probably the wrong words, but that, that it feels sometimes there's a, a deeper, wider, more universal intelligence or wisdom or common sense or guiding that just puts the wind in our sails. And, as, as you, and the way you just described that was we'll, we'll come across something that will help point us. So the reason I'm bringing this up is because in the business world, most people think that all the smart, clever stuff comes from sort of knowledge and concepts and, and learnt. You know, it's very intellectual or cognitive. Yet, if you ask them the right questions, they'll definitely point to the fact there's something that comes from somewhere, that great idea that turns up, you know, that beautiful piece of, oh, that we could do. And it feels like it comes from, let's call it somewhere else. <laughs> uh, yes. Or the sports person that does the amazing thing. Exactly. For a sports person, it's being in the zone. For the scientists, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's a moment of inspired understanding. For the business person, it's, a, it's an inspired idea or a, an inspired resolution to a problem. And you're right. It does come from somewhere else. If by somewhere else we mean it, it, it doesn't come from the, from the content of our minds. In other words, the, 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 the inspiration in whatever form it takes is not simply a continuation of a line of thinking it 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 it, it comes um 
It comes from behind the mind. It, the mind is informed or inspired by something new. It is a vertical intervention into the horizontal line of time on which thought normally, normally operates. And this is why we, we, we say, um, we have phrases like, it, it just appeared to me out of the blue. In other words, it wasn't just an extension of my thoughts. I didn't think this through. In fact, what very often happens is that having thought a problem through, we then get to the end of the possibilities of thinking. And thinking then comes to a rest, a stop. And in that moment, in that pause, in the gap, in the habitual stream of thinking, something new comes in from an, from an unknown direction. That is inspiration. Where it comes from is, is it doesn't come from outside. It comes from the deep, from deeper within us, from, from the, from the consciousness that, that lies, so to speak, behind or underneath. The mind. That, that's where all inspiration in the, in the arts, in sports, in science, in business comes from. And many, many people, this is a, a familiar experience. M many of us experience this. I, I would say most, if not all people have experienced this to some degree in their life in relation to some situation. It, it's like some, something, uh, some, something new comes into the, situation that you realize it didn't come from my mind. It didn't come from the content of the, my mind, but at the same time, it wasn't put in from the outside. Yes. And that's it such came a... from deeper in us. That is the moment that the sports person seeks that that's the zone that the sports person seeks that that's the, the state of mind that the artist wants to be in that, that, that is the, the, that, that, that is where the scientist wants to, to, to work from, to be open to that inspiration from, from behind the mind. And this is where I think our conditioning and our language gets kind of restrictive because even when we say it comes from a deeper us, we don't mean us, the, uh, as we were saying earlier, we don't mean us, the, the, the sort of body mind finite self. We mean us consciousness us the bigger universal exactly. infinite yes. nature that we all yeah. are a shared part of um exactly the, the consciousness that that underlies the mind uh, that gives us our sense of identity and yet in most cases is mixed up with the content of the mind and therefore <laughs> seems to be something temporary and finite but is in fact as you say uh, um it belongs to that region of the mind that, that transcends the limitation of the mind and is shared by all minds, indeed shared by all things. So it is this, this that it's the transpersonal aspect of our own mind, which is not personal. It is utterly intimate, but it doesn't share the limits of the content of our minds. The contents of our mind are, as it were, superimposed on this shared universal being or consciousness and give it its particular temporary qualities or form. But, but underneath that, what we all essentially are is, uh, uh, as you say, this, this utterly intimate but universal impersonal consciousness. That is the source of, it's the source of love. It's the source of creativity. It's the source of inspiration. It's the source of happiness. And I always find it fascinating because 
given that, what you've just said, and it, you know, the power and the potential of that, isn't it fascinating we don't explore it more? Or we haven't? Maybe we have, but we don't... Res- it feels like in this current part of society we're in, we don't respect that. We, we get so submerged in the content, the transient content, that we don't really respect that. Well, we, we don't respect it, but I don't think that we can be... We can't be blamed for that. We don't respect it, although everybody seeks that. Mm. We don't respect it simply because we are unaware of where this source of inspiration, of joy, of love lives. We think that it is to be found in the objective content of our experience. And for this reason, most people spend most of their lives seeking fulfillment, inspiration, love, etc., in objective experience. So it's the, the reason why we don't respect it in our culture is because we, in, uh, mainstream culture doesn't know about where this, the, this uh, inspiration, fulfillment, peace, love lies. I think things are changing. The, you know, the very fact that you and I are having this conversation and that I've had similar conversations with the Metropolitan Police and the Nationwide Building Society and so on suggests that this understanding is beginning to uh, filter into the mainstream. And I realise we could do a whole session just on this, but it, I find fascinating the role of science and, and religion, but let's just stick with science for a moment in this, because... Science, we've been beholden, it feels like, for two or three hundred years to science. And it's still fairly convinced that consciousness comes from the material world. It hasn't worked out how. It's a hard problem for it. But so this deeper intelligence, it thinks, lives somewhere that we can point to out here, you know, in what we would call the outside world. But it feels like to me that science now is starting to, well, at least some scientists are starting to go, no, we don't know that. It, it, it could well be consciousness first, you know. Yeah, exactly. So many people, I have conversations with, with them, mm. philosophers and scientists, and, and, and it's as if this understanding that, that we're exploring here is beginning to, um, it's beginning to infiltrate into philosophy of mind and scientific and neuroscientific circles. Because as you say, the, the prevailing materialist paradigm that informs our world culture, which is based on the, the fundamental assumption that, that, that consciousness is a derivative or epiphenomenon of, of, of matter, of, of, of brain activity. It simply doesn't stand up. It doesn't stand up. It doesn't stand, uh, the scrutiny of, um, empirical evidence. It doesn't stand, uh, the scrutiny of reason. And it is not consistent with our own internal experience. So I, I don't think it will be long now before the, this, this, the prevailing materialist paradigm. We, we've already seen the, the effects of it beginning to crumble in society. I think that it won't be long now before the, the, the underlying belief system itself, uh, that doesn't also, um, begin to crumble simply under the weight of the, 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 the evidence of uh, um, uh, empirical experience and, and reason and uh, our own internal experience. So if, if there's a listener right now thinking, 
okay, you're, you're saying that the sort of the paradigm that we've got is slightly misunderstood at the moment or not slightly completely. And that through direct experience, just human to human having a conversation, we can start to see that. Just in a couple of minutes now, Rupert, and I know you, you, you do this day in, day out. So help someone just right now explore that very, very fact for themselves that, it, you know, it's consciousness first, not material first. Well, take first of all your own personal experience. Would you agree that all you ever experience is the knowing of your experience? Mm. In other words, all your experience takes place in consciousness and is made of consciousness. That, that, that's all that all we ever experience is experiencing and experiencing takes place in consciousness. Yeah. Now one could argue that's fine. That the content of our own personal experience is indeed made entirely of consciousness. However, there is a whole world in existence that the, the outside world that exists beyond our own personal consciousness and is made out of something other than our personal consciousness, namely matter. Now, I would agree there is something beyond the content of each of our finite minds. So that's very important. I'm not suggesting this is not a, a solipsistic no. uh, point of view that suggests all there is is the content of my own mind or indeed the content of all finite minds. That, that There is, I would suggest, a... a um, a world out, or, or let's say a reality outside the limitations of each of our finite minds. The question is, what is the nature of that reality? Our materialist, um, uh, physicalist, um, mainstream paradigm suggests that the, the, the fundamental reality of that world is, is matter and that uh, we as physical bodies with brains evolve out of that physical universe and that consciousness, the, the, which is the entirety, in fact, of our experience, evolves from the body and, and the brain in, in particular. I, I would suggest that that is a, is a misunderstanding, that, uh, that the, the world that we, the world that we perceive um, owes its um, its form to the, the 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 limitations of our own mind through which we perceive it, but its reality, I would suggest, pre-exists each of our finite minds. But its ultimate reality is consciousness, not matter. It only appears as matter when viewed from the localized perspective of each of our minds. Just as the, the dreamed world that you perceive at night appears from the perspective of the separate subject of experience in the dream to be a, a world made out of matter. But when we wake up, we realize that that world was in fact simply what the activity of our own mind looked like from a localized perspective within the dreamed world. And I would suggest that that was just a microcosm of what is in fact happening in the waking state that the what we what we perceive as 
that the world is in fact what the activity of a universal mind or consciousness looks like from each of our localized perspectives. Hmm. And I, I personally find that dream uh, metaphor or example so useful because in a dream, when we're in the middle of the dream, it looks like there's a there's a subject and an object in the material world. You know, that that's what it appears and off we go in our dreams. And then we'd be very happy with the idea that when we woke up the next morning, that that was just a, a real but not true experience. Yes, we, we realized oh, that, that, that the whole dream, including the dreamed character that I seemed to become, was all the activity of my own indivisible mind. When I say indivisible, indivisible, I mean, my, my mind didn't, the dreaming mind, didn't really divide itself into a subject and a multiplicity and diversity of objects. That was just the mechanism. The subject-object relationship is the mechanism whereby my own mind was able to perceive its own imagination in the form of the dreamed world. And I would suggest that that mechanism gives us a kind of blueprint. It gives us a hint as to what is going on in the waking state, that each of us as individuals are localized perspectives of a universal mind or consciousness, from whose perspective that activity appears as an outside world made out of matter. But in reality, it is a, a, one single, non-dual, seamless whole. In, 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 in other words, that in reality, there are no real separate subjects or objects of experience. There are only separate subjects and objects of experience from the localized perspective of an apparently separate subject of experience. Mm. In other words, it is the limitations of our own mind that confer apparent materiality on, on the world. Uh, the, lim the, the limitations of thought and perception make what is, in fact, the activity of consciousness appear as a physical world. And for this reason, uh, it, 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 it's, of course, no coincidence that the more profoundly physicists look for the ultimate reality of the so-called physical world, the less they are able to find it. It's not there. Hmm. Yeah. And, and, and that's such a beautiful... I, I love the way that sort of this understanding and science start to coincide. Absolutely. Um, well, yes. it's probably wrong language because they, they don't coincide, but you know what I mean? That they, they start to point in the same direction they, and, and one they, validates the other. They, they draw the same conclusion. Whether, whether you um, take the path of introspection and you explore the reality of your own experience, the, the nature of your own mind internally, or whether you take the, the path of the scientist or the artist and you explore the outside world. If, if both parties go far enough and don't stop short, they will eventually end up with the same understanding. And I think that we're beginning to see this in our, mm. in our culture. And for anyone listening with a, um, let, let, let's call it a, a healthy skeptical mind right uh are there any other human phenomena that you could point to that go see this shows it as well i mean with indirect experience you know so 
other things in, from your experience that we, we can spot about the mind that, that point again to go, oh, I know everything does, but <laughs> for someone that needed a little bit more nudging. Yes. Uh, take the experience of love. Mm. What, what, what do we think the experience of love is? Is the experience of love something that we as an individual person has towards another separate individual person, or that would be the, the common, rather simplistic um, interpretation of the experience of love, or is the experience of love the dissolution of the sense of separation between two people? Hmm. Uh, I would suggest it is, it is the latter. When, when we love someone or we are in love with them, we feel to a greater or lesser extent that everything that separates us from that person, at least temporarily, dissolves. In other words, we feel one with them. That's what the experience of love is, the, the, the felt sense of being one with the other. Well, could it be that the love is not just a, a temporary, fuzzy feeling that comes over us, but could it be that, that the experience of love is itself the recognition of the nature of reality? In mm -hmm. other words, that love and true knowledge are one and the same thing, that in the experience of love, we actually taste what is true, namely that we are only separate individuals, uh, uh, superficially that, that, that deeper down below the, the, the differences below the content of our thoughts feelings uh, sensations perceptions that that the, that 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 which we truly are the self or the being or the consciousness that we truly are is shared it's utterly intimate but it doesn't belong to us as a person or a body mind it is the shared element of reality. And I would suggest that love is the experience of that shared reality. Mm. It's just that we have interpreted the experience of love in line with our um, uh, materialistic um, paradigm. And we imagine that love is a feeling that a person has. No, love is the dissolution of the person we seem to be and the revelation of the shared being that we truly are. Hmm. And, you know, it's so, I mean, that's, it, it's so powerful in, in itself. And, and, it, and then if I take that into the context of of the workplace you take teamwork or inspiration inspired teamwork creativity it's a similar thing it's you, you people get they lose a sense of self that they're in, immersed in whatever it is they're doing whether it's sport or work actually either and there's something greater they would call it synergy you know two plus two equals five you know something greater comes out of that which isn't because all these individual smart people are doing their things it's you're kind of losing yourself and Absolutely. there's a deeper wider intelligence you're, exactly you're, you're you're losing the, the 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 boundaries of your of your individual self and you're all tapping into the same you're not really tapping into it because it's what you essentially are but everyone's minds are then being are being informed by the same 
the same field, if we can, can, can use that term. And for that reason, it, it's intoxicating. It's, it's, it's creative. It's inspiring. It, it, it's, um, it's intoxicating. People, it, it's the, in, in sports, it's the zone. It, that's where you want to be. When, when it, it's almost as if you're operating automatically. You're not op- operating automatically, but it, your own individual thoughts are no longer orchestrating your activities. It, it, you, you, you're, you, you, you feel you're part of something so much greater. And if you, if you feel that with a team of people, then that team of people, be it a, a, a sports team or, or a company or a, a, um, a, a group of people in any endeavor become tremendously powerful and efficient and creative. And there's an interesting thing about that because I think people would experience that, but they, it goes back to what um, you were pointing to earlier that we can get seduced by that thinking that's coming from the team or the event or the work. And I think what you're pointing to is no, 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 that that was never coming. It might, it might be misattributed to that event, that, that whatever it is, but that's just our essential self coming through, which is, it, regardless yes. to what the team, the actual team yes. is doing. Yes, it, it's it, possibly because of the team dynamics. Each each individual has had to subordinate their self to the team. So that has that has required that the the the, the individuality has uh, um, in each member has to a degree subsided, and as a result of that subsidence, the the. The innate intelligence that, that is the, the source of everyone's mind, the consciousness that is the foundation of everybody's mind is then able to shine through. It shines through to the extent that the um, individuality has dissolved. Hmm. So it, 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 it could be that working in a team requires the, 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 um, the subsidence of of the ego because of the cooperation that is required and that in a way that 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 cooperation that subsidence of the ego paves the way for the deeper intelligence of the mind that is the shared aspect of everybody's mind it paves the way for it to come through and inform the activities of the team or the company or the group mm. And you take something like creativity. So I, I often work with people in advertising in the creative industries, marketing, and, and you know, they're looking for the big idea. And, and some people say, well, there's no such thing as a new idea. They're all recycled. You know, that, that's what they would say. Yet sometimes you get that sense that there's a creation coming from somewhere. And, and, I, and I know you, from your background in ceramics and pottery, you know, the creation, the expression of that infinite mind in an object even in, in a beautiful piece of art or something and and that comes it's almost like there's an object infused with that and i think the same with beautiful creative ideas they they seem to come from it's, it's it isn't the person but it isn't not the person it's sort of exactly <laughs> it, it isn't the person in the sense that it doesn't come from the content of their mind, but it is the person in the sense that it comes from the deeper layers of their mind, namely impersonal but utterly intimate consciousness. Mm. So it is the person in, in the very realist sense of who that person is, but it doesn't come, it doesn't come from their conditioned mind. Mm. It, it comes in fact when the conditioned mind has 
at least to an extent, quietened down. It has become, so, so to speak, transparent, and it can then be informed by this deeper layer of intelligence. So what would you say, because I often get challenged a little bit on that by people who go, yes, but I need stimulus to be creative. So, so they would say, oh, I need stimulus, you know, as in yes. I need to read a book or listen to a song. It, or it's talk quite true. Things. It's quite true. If, if my mind goes quiet now, uh, it is not suddenly inspired by uh, um, uh, some, some new mathematical mm. uh, uh, understanding or in physics. Why? Because my mind has not been conditioned to, to receive ideas to do with um, physics or maths or astrology. My mind is simply not shaped in that way. So w w when there is a pause in the stream of, of my thinking and this deeper in layer of intelligence expresses itself in my mind, it's not surprising that it doesn't express it in the form of mathematics or physics, it, but it does express it in the form of the, the subject matter which I have given the last 45 years to exploring, namely uh, this uh, perennial philosophy and previously as an artist in my, in my studio. Mm. Um, so it, 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 yes, pe people feel, um, I need to be stimulated, to be uh, stimulated. Yes, they, they need to give their mind to the content of the, whatever it is, the business, the, 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 the project. They need to engage their mind on that. And that, that engagement, so to speak, shapes their mind in a certain way, conditions their mind in a certain way, such that when there is a pause in the stream of thinking, the inspired thought will then appear in a way that is consistent with the narrative of that mind. So, surprise, surprise, a physicist gets inspired understanding about physics. A math math mathematician gets mm. an inspired idea. An artist gets an inspired idea about uh, uh, that, that's in line with the work they do because their mind has been shaped in such a way that when this impersonal, when it is inspired by this impersonal intelligence, the shape that intelligence takes conforms to the conditioning of their own mind. It's it's so beautifully intelligent because it's contextually intelligent. It, exactly, it, it, it knows. It, it, <laughs> you know, it's you both need. impersonal. Uh, it, it's an impersonal, universal source of intelligence that, when it appears in our experience, is uniquely conditioned to the particular shape or conditioning of our own mind. It's tailored to the the, the, the unique shape of our own individual mind so it is both impersonal and universal and but it's expressed in a unique and personal way and it's such a you know an amazing design that that happens what an intelligence it, it, and, and and piers it's it's one of the reasons why great artists great um entrepreneurs uh, great physicists scientists they're very humble people. Th they know that the inspired ideas that they've had and that they have contributed to humanity don't have their source in their own personal mind, and therefore they don't lay claim to them. 
Other people may attribute greatness to them because they think, oh, so-and-so was responsible for this uh, idea or, or, or this product or this, this, this project. But they know that what they contributed came to, from a place in themselves that was most essentially their self, but that it was not personal. Mm-hmm. And for this reason, these people tend to be genuinely humble people. And it, it amuses me that because you think of uh, a job interview, right? So let's say you are this creative director or there's something and you come to get to, uh, you know, to interview for your job. And what you're really saying is, well, I'm just a, a, a vessel or a channel for an infinite intelligence, impersonal, yet intimate intelligence. That doesn't feel that unique to you <laughs> because everyone has that potential creativity. That's not unique to you, but the way you articulate that intelligence in relationship to the particular job you're applying for mm. is unique to you. Mm. And if I was uh, conducting the interview in this case, I would want to know two things. One is the interviewee, is, is he or she open to this deeper source of inspiration and creativity. Because if they're not, all I'm getting from this person is just, uh, you know, marketing 101. It's just yeah. what they've learned. It's just an extension. Of, I, I, they're not going to produce anything creative. And in, so, so I would want to know, are they in touch with this, um, this deeper layer of their own mind. But at the same time, is their own mind sufficiently trained and conditioned in, in this particular subject matter so that they can tailor this impersonal understanding uniquely to the project that we have at hand? And, and for that, the mind does need to be trained. Mm. Which makes me think about leadership. So, you know, I work a lot with leaders and there's a big word, leadership, you know, and it's like, well, people would say, are leaders born? Are they made? What are they? What makes a good leader? What doesn't make a good leader? And I think actually what you just said sums it up for me, because it seems to be a combination of being open to the deeper sense of intelligence and wisdom and connection that's there which will allow you to synthesize in the moment and have that clarity and obviousness and sense of connection. And also having a little bit of the shaping that you just described about the business world or the organizational world or the, the sector or the industry that they're in. But it's probably 80% the former and 20% the latter. You know? Yes, yes. I, I think I, I agree, Piers. I think a, a really good leader is somebody who sees in, their, in, in each member of their team, that the potential for this uh, um, uh, th- th- this uh, universal impersonal intelligence that that knows and understands that everybody the, the 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 source or essence of everybody's mind is this creative universal intelligence. So that that's the first. The first quality that is necessary in, in, in a leader, that they recognize that, that all minds have this as, as their essence, but then also has the skill at working with the individuals in his or her care or company or, or that has the, 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 the skill to help that individual bring out those qualities in them. And very often the leader will know 
how to do that better than the individual themselves. The individual themselves may not yet be in touch with that source of creative, impersonal intelligence in themselves, although they will have a a sense of it and long for it. A true leader is someone that knows the particular characters well enough to, to know how they operate, how they work, and who works with that person in order to enable them to get in touch with their own impersonal creative intelligence which will inspire them as an individual and also bring out, uh, will will make their contribution to the endeavor, the company, whatever it is, so much more than it would ever previously have been without this access to to, to 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 uh, this creative intelligence. Mm. Those are the two things I think that a, a, a real leader requires whether it's in business in sports in 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 medicine in in uh, uh, any group or uh, it's interesting how that if if you were to go on a leadership course at a business school or an MBA or something how this is just from my experience of this that they'd be sort of pointing to that but not at all right so <laughs> which might sound a, a confused message, but they kind of know that's the role of the leader, but they don't really know how it works. So then they they sort of overcomplicate it by thinking it's to do with, you know, the, the mindset or you've got to ma- massage your psychology or whatever. So it's a kind of slight understanding, but a slight not understanding at the same time. I think you're right, Piers. I think um, probably intuitively many People would would uh, having heard us formulated in this way would say yes that that that's exactly that's what I was trying to do but I didn't realize I was trying to do it yeah. and because I didn't quite realize I was trying to do it all I was able to do was set put in place a series of practices why don't you uh, do do this one two three four five if you do that you will find that this uh, um, and then they probably wouldn't formulate it in this in this term but you will find that this intelligence is is uh, um that, that you have access to this creativity in yourself so they would put in place a, a strategy whereby this intelligence may be accessed without actually realizing that that's what they were doing in other words they wouldn't go for it directly mm. they would uh, um uh, achieve at least a degree of what we are suggesting here in in, in, a, in an indirect way and I think there's a lot of reverse engineering going on, isn't there? I mean, I know if I look back on what I was doing back in my NLP and positive psychology days, it was reverse engineering, seeing a great outcome, and then thinking, how did that happen? And then psychologically trying to reverse engineer it, which is yes. backwards. Um, yeah, it doesn't exactly. really work. Rather than, than understanding the, the, the source, for, for, for why, why this is working, where is this creativity coming from? And going directly... To, to that starting from there rather than ending there. Yes. Just changing tack on a question though, but I've, I've got a question now that, it, it, that I, I know you can speak to because of the extent of the, the amazing work you do with people. And, and and that is that if there's someone listening going, well, okay, I, I, I can sort of resonate with what you're talking about. I could see this being useful for people, but it feels um, not accessible, too abstract, too obscure. People won't get it. What is your experience, having worked with probably hundreds of thousands of people, um, directly and indirectly, on how this 
lands of people and how easy it is at one level or simple, should I say, maybe or to, to grasp and resonate with? Very often, in in a, in a short space of time, you one can, you can ask somebody, uh, "Tell us, tell me about yourself." And th- th- they'll start by saying, "Well, I'm 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 forty seven years old," and then immediately say, "No, no, you're you're telling us about your age. We want to know about yourself." Well, I'm I'm married. I've got no. Now you're telling us about a relationship. Uh, I'm I'm a I'm a policeman or a nurse. No, you're telling us about an activity. You're telling us about what you do, not what you are. And in this way, you 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 slowly push people back into their experience of them their self. First, most people will start telling you about their activities and their relationships. If you push back a little bit, they'll tell you about their thoughts and their feelings. No, we don't want to know about your thoughts and your feelings. We want to know about yourself. When you say, I feel upset, we don't want to know about the upset. We want to know about the I, the one who feels it. I am ambitious. No, we, we don't want to know about your ambition. We want to know about you. And then you, you go further back, your, your, your history. Again, our history is is. Whose history is it? So in this way, you can, you can lead somebody quite quickly back in their experience. And to begin with, they will answer very quickly. I'm a married man. I'm 47 years old. I'm a policeman or I'm 36 year old. I'm a nurse. I'm a mother of two children. The the answers come very quickly. But the more you ask that the answers that there'll be more and more gaps. There'll be longer and longer silences in between the questions. And in those silences, the person is trying to find or recognize their self, not their thoughts, not their feelings, not their activities, their histories, their memories, their relationships. But there will be these pauses that open up these gaps in the stream of the mind, which give people this experience of their self prior to the mind. That, that they're most, it's, it's the innermost layer of themselves, more intimate to us than our thoughts, feelings, activities, relationships. But it is impersonal in the sense that it is, it does not share the qualities of our thoughts, feelings, memories, histories, and so on. It, it, it need not take long. Mm. It's not something that one has to spend 10 years, um, making tremendous efforts, practicing discipline. It's, it's more that the, the quality of attention and the directness of one's investigation. And, and let's assume someone does that little inquiry and they, they do notice there is a something, a sense of something, a being, whatever, before self-identification of thoughts, feelings, perceptions, sensations. There's then, sometimes I find that people then go, okay, so that happiness and well-being that you said was on offer, how do I go from that, the recognition of that, to the next bit? Okay, well, having recognized that that there is this 
just the, the, the simple fact of being or being aware behind or prior to the content of our minds. So the next question we could ask is, okay, what, what is the nature of that? So if, if our thoughts and feelings and activities and relationships could, could be considered the, the foreground of our experience and the, the fact of simply being or being aware or consciousness itself is the, the background of our experience, we could ask, what is the nature of this consciousness? Our thoughts and feelings may be agitated. The world may be disturbed. But what is the one that lies by the, the one that is viewing the content of experience, the one that is witnessing the content of experience. What is its nature? I may be aware that my thoughts are, are, are agitated, my feelings are, are upset or hurt, the world is in turmoil, but, but what is the nature of the one who witnesses or is aware of this conflict, this turmoil, this... So it's something, ex it's expansive, it's something unlimited, it's something... It's expansive, it's unlimited, it, it, it is, it is, uh, it looks at the content of our experience fr from, not from a distance, because the awareness with which we are aware of our experience is utterly intimate with the content of experience, but it is not affected by it. It's, it's like, it's, it, it's... The relationship between our essential self awareness or consciousness and the content of experience is, is like the relationship between the screen and the image. Mm. The screen is, is utterly intimately one with the image, but it is not affected by it. The, the, the screen is not stained or hurt or harmed or destroyed by the content of the movie. At that innermost or deepest aspect of our own mind, the simple fact of being aware or awareness or consciousness is, is observing experience. It is one with experience, but it doesn't share the limited qualities of experience. It, it, it is silent. It is open. It is empty. It is at peace. It, in other words, its nature, it, it, is, it is undisturbed. Its nature is peace. <laughs> And the recognition of that in any moment, I guess, dissolves the apparent causal power of any thought, feeling, sensation, perception. Yes, it doesn't prevent us in any way that we no longer engage in, act, in thinking and feeling or, or in activities and relationships. All it implies is that we no longer see them as a source of fulfillment. We have located in ourselves the source of fulfillment, the source of well-being, the, the, the end of the sense of dissatisfaction which previously drove our life. This doesn't mean that we no longer engage in the world. Such, such a one may engage more fully with the world, but not as a source of fulfillment. On the contrary, their activities in the world would be the means by which they bring this understanding out into the world and share it with humanity through whatever active through their activities, be they business, science, social, etc. Hmm. And such a such a person becomes 
such a person is powerful and effective because their activities are are they have their activities are informed by and derive their power from something that is impersonal. Yeah. And they tend very often to be effective, creative, powerful people. And and just on a very practical level, it's when you're operating from that space, it's, Life has a different feel to it. It's not as tiring to put to put a you know very practical word on it. So yes, you, know. you are no longer in a state of conflict mm. with with people and with the world. I mean, conflict is exhausting. Mm. You, mm. you know, when you when you, what is stress? It's conflict with the world. Mm. With the with the apparent now. Yeah, <laughs> with the now, in whatever form it, it's appearing to you, your 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 colleagues, your 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 partner, your business, your, it, it's it's just it, it's conflict with with, with the world. It it, it 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 comes from a sense of defending oneself against the world or seeking fulfilment in the world. Mm. Now, when 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 those the, the twin activities of resistance and seeking dissolve or begin to dissolve. One has a well of energy inside one. One, one is no longer uh, one is no longer battling as an individual against the universe. You feel that you are flowing with the universe. You, you, you are you are one aspect of the universe that is that, that is cooperating with it. And I think that's such a telltale indicator because in the workplace now you're seeing more burnout, more stress, more anxiety, more depression, isolation, mental health issues. They're, they're all on all, the and they're partly on the because they're measured. But it's just an indicator that people have, are the wrong way around on this. It's, yes, it's yes, it's 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 because our culture has encouraged us to um, shrink our idea of ourself. So that all we feel ourself to be is this bundle of thoughts, feelings, sensations, activities, relationships, and histories. That, that's it. That's what I am. And as this, as this bundle of thinking, feeling, sensing, relating, et cetera, et cetera we are a, a, a little fragile, incomplete, self-contained unit that is in this vast, alien, hostile world seeking to protect itself and fulfill itself. That is a model for depression on the inside and conflict on the outside. It is, an, it, it is de- depression, dissatisfaction on the inside, conflict, lack of fulfillment on the outside is the inevitable conclusion of this view of ourself. So the, the simple answer to sort of where we started on this was, you know, what's on offer for the business world organizations if they see this is a a transformational change in all of that. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's a fundamental transformational change in, this, in one's sense of oneself, who oneself really is, or where we take our stand. We, whereas we previously took our stand, so to speak, in our thoughts, feelings, activities, we now, as it were, take a step back. We, we take a stand in ourself, in our being, this utterly intimate, but unlimited, universal, shared uh, being or, or awareness. And from that place, we act from that place so that our 
thoughts and our feelings and our subsequent activities and relationships are informed by this. So in a way, we take a, a, to begin with, we start by taking a step back in order to recognize what we essentially are. But then we turn around again, so to speak, and engage with thoughts and feelings, go out into the world in the form of activities and relationships, and, and, and we bring, we operate from this place in our self. And whereas before our activities were informed by our, by our sense of dissatisfaction, our depression, our neuroses, our fear, our anxiety. Now that, 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 that has dissolved or is dissolving. And now our activities are informed by this sense of well-being, this sense of peace, this sense of being connected to everyone. Hmm. And, and I can't think anything more that a business leader or a business owner would want than that, right? Uh, Not just for their it's society at large, but just for their own unit. For, for their, uh, their own personal life will yeah. flourish as a result of it. Their, 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 their business will, will their, their company, their community will, will flourish as a result of it. The, the, the sense of satisfaction that people that work in the, everyone will be, will, will, uh, the, 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 the whole company will be, will be elevated by this new understanding, will become more creative, more productive. And, and also what the company contributes to society will be enhanced. So, so both at the level of the individual, the company and society, all three would, would, would uh, be enhanced by this understanding. And if there was someone listening now who has resonated with what we've been pointing to and what you've been pointing to, and they were sort of in their mind now going to, okay, now what? Um, <laughs> what, what would your sort of piece of suggestion or counsel be to them? If, if, um, if they've been um, interested by the you know, particular content of this, conversation um explore it more uh, um uh, obviously i i'm i'm expressing my own uh, um i'm articulating this uh, this understanding is by no means um unique to me many many people have, have this understanding and express it in different ways if this particular way of um Expressing it resonates with you. Then, then explore it through the you know through 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 my website and YouTube channel. And but there are many other uh, um, that there are there are other there are other people speaking about these this subject. But 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 given that we're we're having a conversation, you are you are right. Just, just go to my website or my YouTube channel and begin to explore it. And I, my recommendation to people is, whatever you've resonated with already, wonderful, but just know there's more, right? So I, I use a little phrase, I don't know where I got this from. You, you're always halfway up an infinite ladder with this. It, it feels, I used to think there was someone to get, you know, like, oh, I want to get to understanding or get to something. But it feels like there's such a, a depth on offer of just... I mean, the number of times I've listened to, to you, Rupert, and I'll listen to the same YouTube sometimes, numerous times, I don't always know which one it is, and I'll hear something completely <laughs> different in the same words that you are saying, right? So I know it's not the words that you are pointing to, but there's something in the direction that I've heard more deeply. So there's, 
Because I think sometimes people can go, I've got the gist of that. You know, that's what it is. But this seems to keep on unfolding, emerging, because it's deeper, you know. Exactly. It keeps on unfolding. One can never say one has got to the bottom of it. As I said earlier, I've been exploring these these ideas now for probably for 45 years or or my, my adult life. I, I I still find my, my mind is still inspired by by new understandings. It, it's it, it's uh, I'm constantly discovering more about um, and, and particularly actually as I have conversations with people like you, Alcoholics Anonymous, the Metropolitan Police, who, who, who stretch me a little bit beyond my comfort zone. I'm not used to talking about about business and stress in the police force and addiction to alcohol and but 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 I very much welcome these conversations because they stretch me outside my comfort zone and, and they they invite me they they force me to to go deeper not not only deeper into this understanding on the inside but also to see how it's impl- what its implications are for society on the outside so, so yes, you're, you're absolutely right. There are, there are really endless depths to this understanding. Mm. And is, I'll give you a question you can answer and one you can't. Um, well, of course you can, but 45 years you've been looking in this direction. I know for the last, is, is it 15 or 20, you've gone, since Francis Lucille, you've gone more into what we would call the direct path. Yes. And you feel now that, people are more open to that direct path. So if you could just touch on that for a minute. And then the question, just fun one at the end, is kind of, <laughs> as I say this, I'm, I'm thinking what a silly question, but in five years' time, what do you think you'll be pointing to? <laughs> you know, do you do you say getting more direct? I mean, if there is such a thing, I, I don't know. Yes, you have a yes, okay. Um, you're right, this is, this is sometimes called a direct path or the direct path. Approach um, and what is meant by that is, is that uh, previously, traditionally, uh, in the uh, religious and spiritual traditions, it was considered necessary for one to go through a, quite a lengthy, arduous period during which the the body and the mind were prepared through a series of practices, and um, as they became sufficiently refined and purified and mature, at some stage, they were considered uh, the the the, the the body and mind, the, the, the mind was considered sufficiently mature, sufficiently prepared to hear this very direct approach where, where we go, we, 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 we cut through all the thinking, feeling, acting. We go directly to the essence or the source of our own minds. This direct approach suggests that that preparation is not necessary, that Everybody, literally all 7.8 billion of us, have the capacity uh, uh, to go directly to the essence of their own mind simply by virtue of the fact that they are aware of their experience, irrespective of the content of their experience. However deeply depressed or anxious they may be, they are by definition aware of that depression or anxiety. All that is necessary is to go towards the awareness, not towards the depression or the anxiety. And everybody at the, at the, at the source or, or essence of everybody's mind is this luminous, 
intelligence or awareness. And so for this reason, uh, it's not necessary, or I would suggest the direct path suggests that it's not necessary to go through this um, these preparatory practices. One can go directly to the essence of one's own mind. I should just add that uh, one will, having um, uh, glimpsed or recognized the nature of one's own mind, one will then still have to return to the conditioning of one's own mind, one's own thoughts and feelings. And they then, the thoughts and feelings, then need to be realigned with this new understanding of ourselves. So I'm not dismissing the need for the mind to be uh, gradually transformed by this understanding. But in this approach, in this approach, that transformation, that alignment of the mind and indeed the body takes place after the, this recognition of our true nature. It is not, not considered a prerequisite for it. Mm. As regards what I may be doing in five years' time, uh, who knows? But I suspect that I will be uh, continuing to to share this understanding. But I hope that the more I do so, that that uh, the way I share it becomes um, simpler, easier, more direct, um, more efficient, and that as a result, this understanding will find its way to a wider and wider and wider community, not just those relatively few people who are interested in uh, so-called religious or spiritual matters, but 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 in the end, everybody, and, and I mean everybody, should have access to the innate intelligence and love that is the nature of their own mind. So I hope that in five years' time I will be um, more skilled than I am now at pointing towards this. Well, you're already a highly generous, elegant articulator of of this. I mean, I think world leadingly so. And I, what, what I, I sometimes laugh at myself is I I will look at some, listen to some of your YouTubes, and I think, oh, it feels now that in the last couple of years, two three years, you're saying it differently or, or better. May I dare say that than you were five six years ago? But then I think that's just me and my understanding. So now I well, hear it so simply. <laughs> I think it's both, Piers. Your your own understanding is is evolving. So you're 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 relating more deeply in your own experience to what is being said. But I hope that you're right. That I'm not only saying it differently from how I was two, three, four years ago, but also in a way that is that I'm saying it in in, in a better way, because um, like like any activity. It's it's a skill. It's more than a skill. It's an art form. One does not just have a have a glimpse or a taste or a recognition of one's true nature and then simply become um, articulate mm-hmm. about speaking about it. In my experience, it has taken years of responding to other people's questions that have helped me refine and articulate my own understanding. Have caused me to to dig deeper in myself to find words that are simply and uniquely tailored to the person I'm, I'm speaking to. And I hope that that process never, never ends. I hope that refinement of this, uh, it, really I consider it an art form, uh, speaking about this understanding. I, I hope that it will go on being refined 
uh, for, for, for as long as I um, well, I, I get the sense of satisfaction I might get from a, a poem or a, or a book of yours is the same I would get from a piece of pottery in, in, in a way. I mean, they, that might sound really weird, you know, that the, the pottery doesn't tell you anything about the nature of reality, but the, 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 the sort of, there's something that touches, I think, because uh, when you're talking about this, there's almost both. There's the understanding piece and the felt embodiment that it's doing something more than just understanding and yes. that's why it's an art yeah. i think it's an art form and as you say when when you are touched by a a, a work of art uh, you feel you, you are taken to the same understanding in yourself it it's it, because a, a true work of art comes from this same source of, of the mind it, it it is expressed in 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 terms of perceptions a, 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 a painting, a piece of music, a, a piece of dance, rather than concepts. We're, in our conversation, you and I are using concepts now, but it, mm. it's the same understanding that is um, informing our concepts as the understanding that informs a, a work of art. And, and indeed, you, you see this in in sports. Um, sometimes, sometimes there there are moments in, in sport. Um, I can't remember when, when I was watching something the other day. It was um, a Barcelona game, and Messi had, had uh, Lionel Messi had just um, scored this this goal that was really you could never really imagine that it was possible. And the opposition fans uh. were applauding him. I mean, mm. this is unheard of in football. Mm. You, you you know how acrimonious <laughs> in football um, um, competing uh, teams fans are perhaps more acrimonious than almost any other sport and yet they knew the opposition fans recognized that they had witnessed something that transcended their differences they put that and the power of what they had witnessed uh, dissolved the animosity dissolved their differences and they recognized something that was common to, to, to both teams, to both sides. And they were on their feet uh, applauding Messi. That, that was something I, I, I also witnessed uh, the, the, the event, the goal. It was, it was sublime, but I was more touched to, to see the opposition fans on their feet, um, applauding this, this, um, Event because I, I, it 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 was another example of the power of any activity that 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 is informed by the impersonal intelligence that lies at the source of the mind of the body. The power it has to cut through even hatred and conflict. Yeah, and I think that as in a little example of you know if we, we were to look at societal change and what one could argue might need to happen in our society with a little bit of tribalness going on at the moment that that will be the healer exactly what you're pointing to exactly you know, that yeah. space that will that will heal that's um, where the healing comes from the healing is never going to come from 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 two sides making compromises at best as we as we've seen over and over and over again in the middle east and other 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 locations at best we get a fragile alliance a fragile peace that depends upon the content of, of, of the agreement 
but it, 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 it sooner or later, one side violates uh, the, the, the contract and, and, and the piece is broken again. The, it, it has to come from, it, the piece cannot come from the content of the mind. It has to come from something that is below or prior to the content of the mind and that is equally shared by both parties. So whilst, whilst they differ when they discuss their, the content of their minds, they, they, they make touch with the shared aspect, their shared humanity. They make touch with that. They, they get in touch with that. And that is where the resolution, the peace comes from. Mm. And that's just so powerful to get a glimpse of what the implications could be if, if more people would, would see that and touch that space. So, um, wow. Uh, Rupert, I, I genuinely could talk forever. <laughs> Um, I, I've, I've recognized times are ticking and, and I've resisted the urge to go down my nerdy non-dual questions with, with this audience in mind. So I want to just, but time's flown by and I've just looked down, oh, wow, look at the time. So I firstly want to just say another massive, just gratitude is the wrong word for the fact you've, you've offered yourself up to this, this platform, this podcast, um, to share something I think is, is, is is so important for us all and particularly for the people I talk to in business and things. So a massive thank you so much. Um, I would recommend to listeners that they, they listen again, if there's bits that resonated with or check out your website, or if there's a little bit of curiosity, curiosity, just carry on following that sense of curiosity, that resonance, because it will lead you to something wonderful. I don't know quite what, but um, that would be my sort of leaving message to that. Is there anything else you'd like to say at the end, uh, Rupert? I think I would reiterate that, Piers, if anyone has been touched by, by any aspect of this conversation, just, just, just pause. Ask yourself the question, uh, what, what, if, I were to, um, if I were to take off my thoughts and feelings, if I could just just remove my thoughts. It's like getting undressed. You, you, you take off your thoughts, your feelings, your activities, your relationships. Just keep stripping away from yourself anything that is not essential to you. And, and, and it's very easy to know when something is essential to you. It's, it's whether it always remains present in your experience. So no thought, feeling, sensation, perception, activity, relationship is, is always present in, in the moment. So just Take a step back from everything, the activities of thinking, feeling, sensing, and perceiving, and, and ask yourself, what, what remains of myself? What am I behind or prior to all of this? Just, just, and and be, be reluctant to answer that question with a word. Don't, don't give it a name. Just walk yourself back there. Take your stand there. Hmm. Yeah. Don't answer it with a word. Just a don't give it a word, because as soon as we give it a word, we make it into another object of experience. It then becomes something that we know, but we're not interested in what we know. We're interested in what we are. Mm. So don't don't by by not giving it a name, we prevent ourselves making it an object of experience. And I think I remember you saying somewhere that if you, even if people did that five times a day for five days, it, it nudges the system. It kind of points us a little bit. Just that. Mm. 
would 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 have a, a, an influence. Mm. We may not even necessarily notice the, the the causal link between this little experiment and the way we the way we are with our colleagues at work, or but that that it would it would begin to have an influence on the uh, the 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 activity of our minds. And yes, it, it would it would make it already. It would make some. We would notice a difference. And of course, then that can be cultivated and developed. And, and mm. So listeners, if you want a little thought experiment, something just to play within the mind gently, loosely, then that's an invitation. So yeah, well, wonderful, wonderful. Now, sadly, we're going to have to call it time there, but this has been a wonderful honour and treat this podcast. So thank you, Rupert. And listeners, what I would say is have fun exploring and listen at least once. And please comment, share, and let us know what you think. Thank you. Until next time, have fun being curious. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please reach out and leave us a review and a comment. If you want more info, check out makingchangework.co.uk or Piers Thurston on LinkedIn.